Welcome back to Inspiring Hope, where I encourage you to have only positive expectations through true self-care. Today, I'm going to welcome my dear friend back, Miss Michelle Graff. She's the CEO and founder of Cultivating Resilience. Hey, Michelle, welcome back. Thank you for coming again to Inspiring Hope, where we're going to give people the, the, a possibility to have only positive expectations through true self-care. And part of that is having the resilience. And that's what you specialize in, right? And I'm a resiliency cultivator. Awesome. <laughs> well, if you guys don't know it yet, she is the author of the Compassion Fatigue Organization, Restoring Compassion to Helping Professionals. So this is something she's been doing a long time. Not that I'm trying to tell her age or anything. I'm just saying she's good at what she does. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> well, last time, Michelle, I want to thank you. You gave us some really great tips and insights to having uh, empathy for others and how to tune in and things like that. Just tell me, what's what's on your heart today? What you got for us now? Because I know you got a whole book full of stuff. <laughs> well, first of all, Tracy, thank you for having me back. I, I really, um, I enjoy these chats. And uh, what's on my heart today? That's what a wonderful question. What's on all our hearts? I think, you know, really, so one of the things that I've been thinking of a lot, um, just in terms of what's going on in the world and, and, this pandemic and everything we've all working with is the importance of connection and that how we get so much of our sense of safety through our connection with, with each other. Mm. And we forget that sometimes. Yeah. You know, one in doubt connect, you know, it's, it's really a, a, there's, I, I talk about self-regulation in the book a lot and self-awareness, but really, one of the best ways to become self-regulated is through our connection, through seeking out each other. Yeah. I love how you mentioned um, just self-aware. That's really important, and especially with so many nurses. Um, you hear about them getting burned out every day, just want to quit and do something totally different. And haven't heard that a lot about the doctors, but, yeah, the nurses a lot. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's ironic, and you're right, and I, I've thought about that, too. Like, you hear so much more, and I'm not, you know, maybe, I, I'm not saying that physicians don't suffer from compassion by any means, but I think in in terms of things that strengthen us, sometimes are also the things that make us vulnerable, and that nurses have so much of that human contact, and so, yeah, you know, I talk about connection being um, something that that gives us brings us safety, but we also have to recognize that that empathetic connection with another who's experiencing trauma also can make us uh, more vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say that they experience so much secondary trauma and yeah. probably some primary trauma as well. You know. Yeah. And you know what, just for our listeners say, can you just tell us the difference between primary and secondary trauma? Certainly. Well, it, primary trauma is when our, there, there's really not a lot of difference. 
primary trauma is when um, we experience an external threat that we lack the internal and external resources to cope with. So it, that can be very perception-based or it could be, you know, something that's truly life-threatening. Secondary trauma is that recognition that because as human beings we're wired to connect, that when we witness somebody else experiencing a threat or we hear their stories or see the aftermath, we see the suffering, um, that our brain is also going to interpret that as a threat. So in some ways, our brain doesn't always distinguish a difference from the two. In right. fact, the symptoms of secondary trauma, be it experience in secondary trauma, mirror the symptoms of, of uh, primary. Tra primary trauma, yeah. Because it really is just our brain, our brain's interpreting a threat. And so our brain's going to with, respond with its tried and true protective capacity. Exactly. Our, our protective responses, survival responses, whatever you want to call them, uh, it's our brain's way uh, mechanism or our body's mechanism for protecting ourselves. And so when we talk about symptoms of compassion fatigue, it's really, they all fall into those fight, flight, and freeze categories. There are protective responses. For sure. Now, since you are the resilience uh, expert here, tell me this, you know, because we are going to be experiencing some of that. You know, they've been talking about uh, a second and a third strain of uh, COVID-19 coming out. Mm -hmm. What can we do now to help, you know, build that resiliency? What are some like practical things that we can do, especially like if they're parents that have kids? Yeah. What are some things they can do, you know, to help build that Straighten that. Well, I think I think recognizing that um, when when we become triggered into a threat response, the responses can be in you know a response of fight and flight, which is a mobilization type response. It also could be a freeze response, um, which is the immobilization response. And just being aware of what those responses look like or feel like cognitively. Um, emotionally as well as physically what in recognizing those as responses so we can learn how to regulate good healthy self-regulation is not about not experiencing stress um, it's about becoming more resilient or broadening our ability to be able to respond to those stress in a way that's both calming and connecting in that connecting part, sometimes we forget about. We're all about like I need to calm down, and um, most of us have have our own methods of unwinding. And it's not that that's all bad, but we need to remember that um, connection gives us a sense of safety. It also um, brings us back or brings us um, back from that freeze response. So learning how to do some things that are both calming and connecting um, and, and broadening our, our toolbox of ways to respond. I also think when you talk about resiliency, to me, the difference between self-regulation and self-care is that self-regulation are, those are the skills we use in the moment when we're triggered. Self-care are the things we do routinely that help build our resilience so that we're not as easily triggered. 
Um, and some of the things that, um, you know, again, in, in, in developing those routines, we want to think about being connected. Like, how do we practice, you know, how do we build our social support system? How do we do things regularly that connect us to um, nature and to each other? How, you know, how do we regularly practice those skills um, that, that, that make us, you know, just even sleeping and eating right and, and exercising are all things that can be very connective and calming. Right. Yes. Now, so just for any of the listeners, it may be parents. Um, sometimes I tell a lot of my clients that have been experiencing maybe some domestic violence or some other trauma, it is good to be able to uh, practice what you would do in that particular situation. So you know that there is a certain thing that you're feel fearful of or something that has happened before, something that may be coming up, you know, practice being in that situation and respond so that you are responding and not just reacting. And so the difference to me between the two is when you respond to something, it takes thought. But when you just react, it's like going to the doctor and they hit your knee with that little mallet thing and then your knee goes pop automatically. Mm -hmm. And so it keeps us, it keeps our head space in a place where we can think out what would happen if. And so that's some good practical things you could do with your kids, especially um, like, you know, it's hard for kids to sit still for a long time sometimes maybe in school or in other settings. But if you just say, hey, we just want to practice today, you know, you know what you should do in that situation to help you keep still because it's not going to stop their mind from moving. You know, them wheels are still going. You know, they're thinking about, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And the next thing you know, they're up and they're starting to go. But right. we have to learn to train them to, you know, stay in a place of being still. And that might involve, you know, some meditation or Writing, you know, what are one or two things that they could do while they're sitting still? Those type of things. So that's a good practice for you guys. Well, no. can I add to that, Tracy? I mean, one yes. of the things what you're talking about, it's it's not even just a yeah, when you, you practice and you learn those skills and developing skills is, is definitely very important. It's also that we seek safety and familiarity. Mm-hmm. That's why routine um is is a is a big part of safety. It's a calming. You know, I always say when you're anxious, um, fall back on routine, develop routine, you know, because that familiarity of knowing something, that's where practice comes from. It's really you're you're getting familiar with situations that you might might cause anxiety. You're you're getting more familiar with it. Um, and that's that that lowers the anxiety when we know what to expect. Right. On, on the other side of that, um, when you're feeling disconnected, when you're in, you know, more of when you're starting to feel that low energy, like the immobilization, then novelty is is what we want to seek. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is the brain craves both. We crave routine. We crave novelty. And it's learning to be attuned into that high balance of um, when when I need what. You know, for me, for example, um, in the beginning of this pandemic, at first, with the anxiety of the unknowing, one of the things that I did, and I know a lot of people did, is I developed a routine. 
I'm, I'm going to be a home. I'm now, I always worked from home, but not to the capacity. I also always, you know, went out and saw clients and um, was in the field, but sure. Did trainings in the, in the community. But when one of the things I did is that I really stuck to my routine. I developed an at-home routine and, and, you know, where I started working this time, I stopped here. I did laundry on Saturday. I mean, I, and I, I sought comfort in the routine because otherwise the days just sort of blended together, if, if you remember. But that about May yeah. or June, all of a sudden I was really feeling the effects of that lack of connection. And it was really, you know, and I was starting to get down. And, and I think, I think a lot of people experience that. And so then I had to step back and go, okay, I got this routine down. I need to start mixing it up. It's time to put a little novelty into things. I'm going to start taking my walk in, you know, different neighborhoods or go into a park somewhere to take my walk or, you know, like really adding things to, to my day that, that sort of brought connection. Right. And, you know, and, and actually seeking out different ways to connect to people. And and it's just recognizing that we need both and we need to make those routinely a part of our life so that we're we're connecting. But we also are developing routines that are predictable and good for us. Um, sure. So. Exactly. Yeah, that is for sure. And uh, something that, you know, I know with novelty, it does create it does make your brain stretch a little bit. So. Mm -hmm. If you want to have a little neuroplasticity, there you got, there you have it. You, we do have to, we have to intentionally create memories, and what it makes us do is um, be creative. It makes us hit that that side of our brain where we are creative. Start thinking like out of the box until you get to the place where you say, "Look, there is no box. You know, I am unlimited. I can do this, or I can do that, or or it makes you wonder. Okay, so how could I go and do it?" You know, and then I believe anything you start asking yourself, you're going to start getting some kind of answers back, you know, and it might not always work the first time or the second time, but it surely it will work. And, you know, studies show that, you know, people with dementia, when you talk about novelty, when you start showing them things that they did when they were kids, you know, cartoons and things like that, cowboy movies, whatever it is that when they were younger and you start bringing back those those moments and creating that novelty and things that they can remember or some new experiences, then it really helps uh, slow down the aging process right there. So yeah. um, we're just covering all the bases here today. Um, you know, one of the things that when I, when I teach self care, there's I different categories of ideas that are good self care and creativity is one of them. Um, and we don't always think of that as self care. But it's it is an important part. The brain needs to create. It creates that, and you don't have to be artsy. You know, this is this is not about where your skill lies. It's about where your passion lies. And there's so many different ways to be creative. Cooking is creative. Gardening is creative. Um, you know, we think of the traditional fine art categories, but there's all kinds of ways to be creative. Problem solving is creative. You know that all of it's it's about you know, getting, it's about create, um, making something out of nothing, you know, it's, it's, it's producing something. Um, so you can be creative in your work, you can be creative in a hobby, but it's an aspect of our life that, that we need. 
as well as the relaxation side, you know, and the being able to, you know, we want, we want to be able to do those ebbs and flows without being triggered to the extremes. Um, It's not all about, uh, you know, we, we give a lot of credit to the parasympathetic side of our nervous system, the calming side and different ways to evoke that. But, you know, we can't always be calm. It's not always it's not always about being relaxed. In a in part of living is going back and forth between relaxing and connecting. We need to be mobilized at times in our life. That's how we get done. That's where passion lies, is when yes. we're actually triggered and ready and courage and all those wonderful emotions lie within that side of our brain that does immobilize us without triggering us into a survival response. Um, so we want to broaden our ability to be able to go back and forth between those two things without being pushed to the extremes. And we can think about that in terms of our emotions, in terms of what we do, our behaviors, in terms of how we how our body feels, but also in how we think. You know, being able being able to recognize cognitively when we are being open-minded or creative or, um, you know, being able to make, use critical thinking, make the decisions, problem solve, or are we, have we been triggered into defensiveness or distorted thinking or disconnection or dissociation or denial? You know, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, we can, we can experience fight, flight and freeze in our thoughts as well as our emotions. For sure, for sure. Man, you hit so many awesome topics right there. The survival response versus that thriver thing and then the dissociation. We got to, man, you guys better tune in again next time. I'm telling you, we are hitting some heavy subjects here that are really important and being able to hit up on the parasympathetic system and then the the sympathetic system. And so that's going to be another subject for another day. But I'm telling you, if you like this content, you guys make sure you subscribe and hit that bell so you can get notification for the next time that Michelle Graff is on here. Remember, her organization is called what? Cultivating Human Resiliency.